cue the accordion. I've always wanted to say that. Kick back and get comfy while hosts Heather Wenig and her co-hosts from the Early Childhood Nerd Collective explore ways to cause and effect. Dig that funky accordion. another episode of cause and effect thanks for coming back to listen to us again this is that early childhood nerd heather burns and today i'm joined by brie mcknight and i'm going to talk about you first brie and then i'll let you talk about yourself no problem <laughs> so uh brie is you've heard me talk about my bonus kids and you've heard a couple bonus kids on on the podcast brie's one of them how long have we known each other how old were you when you first started hanging around oh I think maybe 14. <laughs> That's a long time. Eight I came years? to before choir rehearsal to hang out at your house. That's the first time we met, I think. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. Maybe Bri- <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> We've known each other a long time. Um, and then she worked for me briefly at one of the child care centers um, where I was the director. And now um, she, she does uh, some cool stuff. In Colorado, and I'm going to let her talk about what her job is now, and then and then we'll make a connection for you about why she's co-hosting this episode. What do you want him to know, Brie? So, my name is Brie <laughs> McKnight. I am a uh, hospice CNA in Colorado. I won't give away where I work in case my boss is listening and I say something, I don't know, right. but not okay. Always <laughs> on my mind. <laughs> yeah. But before that, I worked at a couple nursing homes, and um, I've been working with the elderly and and the dying for about two or three years now. So I have a little bit of experience, but not a ton. Yeah. So Bree and I um, just had a couple of conversations about, you know, it kind of of just started with how's work going, how was your day, that kind of stuff. And what we realized is that there are lots of similarities between um, things that happen in early childhood and things that she had been seeing happening um, in the nursing homes and the hospice care that she uh, was working with. So, um, so that's what we're going to talk about. And we've got a quote from Jim Greenman who was brilliant and uh, passed a few years ago, uh, but has been really influential for me in terms of thinking about the humanity of, of children. Um, And that's kind of where we're going with this. So the quote is in total institutions, There are inherent tendencies that work in concert to dehumanize all the members, including the staff. Um, And so we we have, Brie and I have identified a few of those things that we think happen in both of our uh, work. And and we're going to talk about that a little bit. Did you want to say anything just about the quote before we started? Mm, not really. Okay. I think it speaks for itself. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty strongly worded. I kind of went and just yeah. looked up some of the stuff. You know, it's 
inherent tendencies, that means that it's the essential character of something. It's not just a fluke or a sometimes thing. It's kind of worked right into the way things are. Um, mm. And dehumanizing, I mean, you think that that's pretty basic, but, but it really is just taking away human qualities from people. So, so what Jim Greenman was saying here is that there are things that happen that take away, he was talking about children, Brie with you, it's more end of life kind of, kind of situations um, that are just part of the way we do things. And if we don't stop and think about it, they can be very dehumanizing. So um, the first thing that we talked about was the question that I used to get all the time when I was in direct care with children. Um, are you going to be a real teacher or why, why aren't you a real teacher or would you consider that? And so I didn't realize uh, but that, that happens with you too, Brie? Yes, for sure. Um, I mean, as a CNA, you work with people, you know, most of the people that I work with are under the age of 30. They're only doing this while they're going to nursing school. It's just a temporary thing, but I really think that should change. I mean, the pay that we get paid is not really livable. You know, mm -hmm. I get paid about $12 an hour, which is good for my age, but I, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And it's not really looked at like that. It's looked at like a temporary thing that you do on your way to a different career, right. you know, and I don't think it should be that way, especially with hospice care, because um, <laughs> I mean, one of the first questions I ever get asked when I go into a home, because I do home care mostly. So I show up, somebody's sick, somebody's mm -hmm. um, currently like Actively dying is what we call it, which means they have maybe, you know, a week to a couple days left. And the first thing that families ask me is, oh, how long have you been doing this? And I usually say, oh, you know, I've been doing it since June. And that's, <laughs> you know, that's not a comforting thing to hear. Oh, yeah. And because our jobs are important, especially with early child care, too, is um, I come in and I'm with you when you're dying and I should need to know what that looks like mm -hmm. and how your loved one feels and what I can do to make your loved one comfortable. They don't want to hear that. I'm just, I haven't been doing this for very long and mm -hmm. I'm only 23 years old. You know, mm -hmm. that's not comforting to them at all, Yeah, but that's kind of the nature of the game. Yeah. That sort of also makes me think of, um, you know, when I first started working with early in early childhood, I didn't have children of my own. And a lot, it's it's very similar. A lot of the people that are working in childcare programs, um, in my experience, are younger women. They're not making a lot of money. Um, and a lot of them don't have children themselves. And so that can sort of add some doubt for, yeah. for people. Yeah, I, I remember that too when I worked with you even. Yeah. It would be kind of like you talk to the parents. And at that time, I was only 18. <laughs> You know, so it's yeah. like, well, what, what do you care? Like, how do you know all these things? Like, you're 18 years old. You've never had a child before. Yeah. But, I mean, what can you expect? Like, there's not going to be somebody there who's been doing this for 20-plus years because we're not getting the benefits or the pay that we need. Right. Does, which is a sh because that's a position that's needed. Yeah. Does your work have a high turnover rate? Yes. Yeah. Especially, not so much hospice, because if you're in hospice, I think that you're doing it because you want to do that, mm -hmm. you know, um, and same thing with nursing homes, but it's a little bit different with hospice because not everybody can do that. Right. Not everybody can come in like wash a dead body or be with somebody like I've held a couple people when they died, you know, mm -hmm. and not everybody can do that. So it's takes a different type of person. Um, but especially nursing homes, I worked at the nursing home for a year and I was the supervisor. So I was training people. I mean, every other week, and I knew when they come in that they're not going to last long, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, 
year-old girl who's like, I'm just doing that. I'm going to be a nurse. I want to work in pediatrics. Uh-huh. Well, okay, well, let's go, you know, change somebody's poopy brief. Uh-huh. They're instantly like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. You know, like it um, takes a lot of practice to uh-huh. do that and know how to approach it. And same with little kids even, yeah. you know, how do you approach situations? Um, you just, I mean, my first time I changed somebody's underwear was like excruciatingly painful for me, you know, and now uh-huh. I do it every day, all yeah. day. It does not bother me. But the first time I ever did it, I was not trained. I didn't know what I was doing. They're like, okay, go in there and change her. Mm-hmm. Well, the first thing that happened was I was with this little lady who had dementia and she did not want me to touch her at all. And I just come in and I'm like, okay, I'm going to change your underwear. Uh-huh. You know, they don't know me. I don't know you. Uh-huh. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and they kind of just teach you like the basics in the class, but they don't tell you human compassion and how to approach somebody and say, hey, I'm going to help you get cleaned up today and sit and talk with them. So a lot of times you just come in and you say, especially working in the nursing home, you don't have time. So it's like, I just come in, I'm literally going to just rip your clothes off change you and then leave yeah. like there's no talking there's no getting to know you getting comfortable because sometimes there's just no time especially yeah. when you work with a, um, a nursing facility yeah I think that's another similarity uh, between the the two the two of our jobs um, because you know early childhood you're changing a lot of diapers there's potty training accidents even if you're just helping them get to the bathroom if we don't stop and, and really think about how that's affecting that other person. So for me, it's a young child. For you, it's um, most often an elderly person, I'm guessing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, then that that is a prime time where we can take away their humanity or recognize their humanity. Um, if we think about times when someone sort of takes control of our body. Like if you go to the doctor, I get really annoyed if they don't tell me what I'm doing and slow yeah. themselves down. And You are like, what is going on? Right. I don't know and, what- and so I always try to keep that in mind. So even if it's just something as simple as telling them what you're going to do before you start doing it mm-hmm. um, or letting them be as much a part of it as they can, acknowledging their feelings. You know, you don't need to say, you're fine, there's nothing wrong with you. It's like, yeah, I know this is hard for you. I'm, I'm going to make it as easy as I can yeah. and, and give them that little bit of humanity that should be theirs. Well, I'm sure with changing, I know that I don't want to make too many comparisons between, you know, <laughs> we call them briefs. Yeah. Uh, just a dignity thing. Um, but I don't know where I'm going with this, but. That's okay. Keep talking. Yeah. <laughs> I used to be a bath aide, uh-huh. which means that my only job for 12 hours of a day, sometimes 16 hours a day, was to come into your room and get you into the bathtub and, like, give you a full bath or a shower. Uh-huh. And that can be so dehumanizing, especially for someone, say, I've been living at home by myself for my entire life, taking care of myself. I had a stroke. Now I can't move at all. Oh, uh, yeah. And I, for the very first time, and I do this with hospice care, too, and I have to bathe you for the first time that somebody else is bathing you. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, you can't just go in there and say, okay, let's go, let's go. And that's kind of what the nursing home wants you to do because you yeah. don't have a lot of time. Yeah. So, and um, I think that's one of those inherent tendencies that the quote mentioned is that it's, it's built in to the way we do things. And sometimes we don't have a choice about the amount of time that we have to get it done. But yeah. we have a choice about the tone of voice we use, the words we use, our facial that's- expressions. Um you know, and then even- that's kind of along with being overworked, too. But when I worked at the nursing home, 
I worked on the hall or on the floors, what they called it. Mm-hmm. So um, in the morning, I'd come in at 6 o'clock, and I'd have to just get started, getting everybody up, out of bed, uh, change their underwear, get them dressed, brush their teeth, brush their hair, wash their faces, make their bed, change their sheets. Mm. Um, and I had to get 12 people up in an hour and a half and Good do that grief. with one of them. So you didn't have time to reapproach, which is what they called it. And that's ideally what they say they want you to do. Mm-hmm. But there's no time when you're understaffed like that. Say I have somebody with dementia who's scared. Yeah. I don't sit and talk with you and explain everything that I'm doing. It's like, if I can't get you changed now, you're not going to be changed for another three hours because mm-hmm. I'm not going to have the time. Mm-hmm. So I think the understaffing and just not appreciating your staff and understanding that these are people and they need to be taken care of right. and treated as a person. And each person sh- shouldn't be like this little 10 minute time slot that I have. Mm-hmm. It's just difficult. And when I worked at the nursing home, it was pretty hard on me to get people out of bed that didn't want to get out of bed because I just didn't have the time to sit and talk. Uh-huh. I have, I've seen some pretty bad stuff. I, I, wrestled a lady out of bed once because my boss was pressuring me so much to, you know, get this done. I had a lady who was crying and screaming and we had to take her pants down. She doesn't know what we're doing, Mm -hmm. but if I didn't do it, she was going to be wet all day and Mm -hmm. in bed and I have to get this done because if I don't get this done right now, my boss is going to lose it. Right. Right. And this pressure, you're not appreciated. It's just kind of like, if you're not going to do it, we'll fire you and we'll get somebody else in to do it mm-hmm. because you're expendable. And the CNAs aren't expendable and early child care is not expendable. Like, mm-hmm. Good that's ones, a special yeah. Thing. Yeah, so you know. in one of the other episodes that I recorded uh, a couple weeks ago, we um, we talked about how working with young children is, is the hardest, one of the hardest jobs. It's very hard work. People get into it thinking it's going to be really easy and I'm just going to be taking care of people and it's going to fill my need to nurture um, but to do it really well is hard to do a shitty job of it is really pretty easy work. Yeah. It is easy to not care and just go through. And then I so. think that there's this, I don't know if you see this in early childcare and I'm sorry if I'm going on tangents about no. elderly. Care, That's, that was I, our plan. <laughs> <laughs> even with hospice, I feel like people get into the job because it looks good. If yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. But then you don't want to put the care and the time into it that it takes to be good at your job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I've seen that a lot too, where I can't really explain it. Yeah. I go to facilities and I had another partner that I went to facilities with and she would sometimes, you know, if they're kind of grumpy, well, that's okay. We won't get them today. So then they're going to be stinky for another three or four mm-hmm. days. Cause we're not going to see them until Thursday. Uh-huh. I'm sorry if this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But like, It's our job, especially with hospice. I have plenty of time in the day to sit and talk with you. And I'm an educator, too, so I come into facilities and I just let them know, like, maybe you should take more time with this person. And I know that you're stressed out. And it's we demonize other coworkers, too. And CNAs, are they get the butt end of that all the time. You know, when people come in, like, oh, my dad hasn't been changing hours. He's sitting in his dirty brief. He's been wet all day. Well, it's not necessarily the CNAs job or problem you uh-huh, know uh-huh. I don't say it like that but it's they're overworked yeah. I mean there have been times when I like I said I have 12 people to take care of in an eight-hour day and I have somebody die well I have to go do post-mortem care that takes an hour uh-huh. and I'm comforting the patient well while that person I'm with that person 11 other people have their call lights on and I can't help them yeah and then it comes back to me well why didn't you do that why didn't you change them well I don't have the time 
mm-hmm. and there needs to be more staff and you yeah. don't want to pay for Right. And that's, I mean, that's another parallel. Um, and that sort of dehumanizes the people who are doing the most important work. Exactly. Um, Even if you have the best intentions, I didn't have the time. Yeah. So I have to come in there and I have to change you and you have to get out the door. I don't have the time to sit and talk with you. I've had people crying before. Yeah. You come and sit down and you say, I'm so sorry, I have to go. Yeah. But like, they don't have anybody to sit and talk with. Uh-huh. And as, I mean, all I all I was programmed to care about was, is your brief clean? Is your bed made? Mm-hmm. Is your floor clean? Okay, on to the next one. Like, yeah. Nothing there, to do with you. Yeah. Are there any kind of regulations? And I'm sure if there are, it varies state by state, but like how many patients one CNA can work with or how many total patients can be in a facility? You know, I could be wrong on this, but I think it's up to 20. People one per person. one person. Yeah. And that's just try to see. imagine that, you know, that's impossible. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I can't do that. Yeah. And I think that's another factor that that contributes to dehumanization in early childhood programs is for the programs that um, the way that they cut corners or make money or whatever is to overload on numbers of children and understaff. Yep, it's the same way with... And that's what it sounds like you're describing, too. Yep, it's kind of like, how many people can we get in here, and how little of staff can we have to provide cares for these people? Yeah, what's the... And they will push it to the line, like, it's just sad. I think a lot of people need to go to nursing homes and see what it looks like, and I think there needs to be some sort of a revolution, Mm because if you saw the things that I saw, you wouldn't be happy about it. I'm definitely not happy with the way that people are getting taken care of. And sometimes even people are paying out of pocket. I work at different facilities with hospice. So I have about 20 people Uh (coughs) I schedule in the week. I see everybody twice a week for about an hour. 20 tops, about 16 I usually have. But um, And I have the time to go and visit them. And so I go to different facilities and I see different levels of care. I see what Medicare will pay for only. And that's pretty freaking sad. It's sad. And that's where a lot of our veterans are going, mm-hmm. which I'm not like a big patriot or whatever. <laughs> but I think especially with that generation, these people didn't ask to be in the military. Mm-hmm. They didn't ask for their freedoms to be taken away, essentially, mm-hmm. you know, four plus years that you had to go to Vietnam, that you had to go to Germany during World War Two. I have a lot of World War Two vets. And I mean... My veterans are sometimes like the least patriotic people I've ever met Really, because they'll say things like I had a one little guy who was just the sweetest little thing. He had dementia and he hated being at the nursing home, rightfully so, Mm -hmm. but he would always, he loved his wife very, very much. And he would always say, oh, you know, the military took me away from my wife for six years and now they're taking me away from her again. Oh my gosh putting him in this home that mm-hmm. he just wasn't getting taken care of. And yeah. he knew that. Yeah. And, um, yeah. It's just sad to me that we can't pay them the respect that they deserve after they had to do that uh-huh. forcefully. Well, and I can, I mean, I'll, I'll draw another parallel there. Um, as a country, we give lip service to veterans, but that's where we're failing them is on the medical care side of it. I mean, that's one of the places and, and this, what you're describing in the same way that we talk about children being our greatest resource and wanting to do everything we can to make sure every child gets a good start. But that's not what we do. That's not how we <laughs> act. Even the people who are in the work, 
if they aren't very careful and intentional about the way they're thinking and acting and talking, slip into the way the things that we're talking about that are dehumanizing. Even with and very good think, intentions because and, of the yeah, systems exactly. we have in place. I was just about to say that. And I, I mean, it's easy to demonize other people. So I go into facilities and I'm like, why is this person yeah. sopping wet? Yeah. And why have they been touched in days? You know, and I have to sit back and I think, you know, this person's probably overworked and nobody intentionally abuses people. I mean, most of the time, mm -hmm. if you have this job, you're here to help. Nobody yeah. is trying to leave somebody wet. Nobody's trying to, like, not pay attention and have them fall. It's just, it's just overworked. And the yeah. longer you work as a CNA, I think the more you get like that. I yeah. had a lady that I know who worked there as a CNA for, I think, even 30 plus years she was in her 60s uh -huh. the worst care i've ever seen really? somebody give and she would have somebody you know who had a, a big bm which uh -huh. is a poop yes <laughs> we're and familiar messy you know mm -hmm. uh, come in and just i mean they're they'll be sitting right there and she would just say the nastiest things to them yeah and she was my supervisor at the time oh god so i felt like i couldn't say anything yeah it was, oh, this is disgusting. You should be ashamed of yourself that you would do. <gasps> See, people do that to kids, too. Even if you're just like, woo, that stinks, or who stinks, and running around grabbing <laughs> them and looking down their pants. That's, that's dehumanizing. Yeah. It's dehumanizing, as, as especially, I mean, I mean, I guess for both, really. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nobody wants to hear that. And I remember, even when I was little, that I had an accident in the bathroom, and I remember my preschool teacher being like, this is disgusting. Get in there and clean that up. You should be ashamed of yourself. Uh, and it's like, I didn't intentionally do this. Right. And the yeah. same thing with people, especially the elderly, they're sick. I can't tell them having a bowel movement. Yeah. It happens. And I, it's nothing to be ashamed of. And we're there to comfort them and tell them it's fine. You know, I do yeah. this all day, every day. It does not bother me. Yeah. I just get like it's human nature. And it is. Yeah. Yeah. Poop is poop. Poop is poop. <laughs> <laughs> poop works its way into about every episode of Cause and Effect. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> so don't it's, feel it's at all embarrassed no, about that. Yes. <laughs> um, so, and that kind of all, what we one of the other things that we wanted to talk about was care, caregiver fatigue in both fields. Oh, yes. Caring so much and wanting to do right and feeling sort of limited and powerless sometimes by the the enormity of our job and I, I feel like a lot of what you just described kind of fits that is there more you wanted to say about that uh well there's a lot that I'd like to say about that <laughs> um well when you work in different facilities you'll notice that fac I don't know there are some places that do it better than other places sure child care too <laughs> yeah but I mean even with hospice care I see somebody two hours a week, essentially. Uh -huh. When I was doing home care, um, I'd see you an hour a day, and that's really not enough. Yeah. I don't really know where I'm going with this, but... Caregiver fatigue. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I would see them for an hour, and I know when I leave that if they didn't have the home care set up, they didn't have the money to pay for home care, they were going to be by themselves. All I would go home and think about is, uh -huh. oh, my God, like, who's going to change her today? Like, yeah. she's going to be wet all night, this and that. Yeah. Um, it's not like a file on your computer that you close and then you just come in and open it again the next day at work. No, there's like There's that. really not, not like a that. good way to separate that if you really care about stuff. Mm -mm. Yeah. But they, they want to make it like, at least my boss kind of wants to make it mechanical, like, 
It's called boundaries, which I have yeah. been talking to that I have boundary problems at multiple places that I I've worked at. I am glad that you have boundary problems. I think that is a cop-out. I, I actually really hate it. That whole I discussion HIPAA, of healthy boundaries. You know. Oh, HIPAA, yeah. <laughs> I freaking I think HIPAA, and I know it does some good things, and HIPAA is, for people who don't know, yeah. keep your privacy, don't talk about this or that person, uh-huh. don't really come and visit them ever yeah what how would you describe HIPAA and your well it's position? mostly confidentiality and releasing information um in my experience with it um but so it, with us HIPAA can be um even are they just boundaries in general oh yeah oh I have a person that you know say I've been with this person this has happened to me before for a whole year on hospice care and then they die and mm-hmm. I've been with them when they die well once they have passed that's where my role ends. Mm-hmm. And I can't talk to the family anymore. Mm-hmm. I can't visit the family anymore. Mm-hmm. Even going to the funeral is kind of frowned upon. Really? You just got to cut them off and move on to the next one. because That's so shocking. Like, I don't, I don't really understand the rationale behind that. The confidentiality stuff, I kind of understand. But the rationale, because it's, it's, it's not as intense, I don't think, as what you're describing. But in early childhood, it's sort of the same as... You know, teachers and parents shouldn't be friends outside of of the center, and we shouldn't babysit for children that come to the center or whatever. Um, but we're Which in the, we're in the business of relationships, and we're in the business because we're nurturers and carers and connectors. Um, so it's so hard, and I feel like that's sort of another element of dehumanizing the staff is that expecting you to just shut things off like that. Mm-hmm. Even when I come home, just to not think about you mm-hmm. at all. And I have even been with people when they die. And I mean, I had a little lady that was almost 102, and she was struggling for an entire week, really couldn't breathe, having a really hard time. She was really scared. And then when I came in to visit her the last time, I came over and I touched her face, and I washed her face, and then she passed away right when I touched her. Oh, Brie. And <laughs> her whole family was there watching. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they kind of felt like, oh, what an angel. You came in and sure. touched her and died. And, yeah. But then I'm supposed to leave and yeah. go to the next person. And just shut it off. And just shut it off. And that's not human nature. And I think people who can do that kind of scare me a little bit. <laughs> you know? Right. Like, yeah. And that happened to you. And then you'd be like, okay. Yeah, I won't think pers- about them ever again. Yeah, it's a sk- maybe that's a skill. I don't know if I'd call that a skill, but it's something I don't understand. It's something I've not been capable of doing um, mm-hmm. in in much of my career. But, um, or with facilities, even when I see people who just aren't getting visits from their family. Um, I had a little lady who had really bad dementia, um, and she would get angry sometimes. Yeah. So her family didn't want to be around her because yeah. they were like, that's not my mom anymore. I don't, you know, that, mm-hmm. and then I used to think that that was awful behavior when I first mm-hmm. started. I was like, oh, how can you do that? But now that I see the process of dementia, it's difficult to be around your mom that doesn't know who you are and she's behaving like some yeah. other person that you don't know anymore. Yeah. And it's just, it's hard to see her like that. And I understand that. But she was Jewish and it was almost Hanukkah time. So I went to Denver and I got her a bunch of like Jewish food and I had this like little Hanukkah dinner with her. <laughs> and, um, it was really awesome. Yeah. And she was very cute and smiling and laughing. But I got in trouble for that. Oh, see, that makes fun. no sense to me. 
almost got fired for that because that was crossing boundaries. Yeah. Because other residents would not get that behavior that I was giving her. But they would have if you could have and you knew what they needed. Exactly. And a lot of times I knew that every, mostly everybody else had people at least coming and checking on them. Uh-huh. And I knew that she wasn't going to have anybody coming. Yeah. But they, they really don't like that. Yeah. And I also had another lady when I worked at the nursing home who was dying and her family didn't want to come because yeah. she had terminal patient, which means um, people get that a lot uh-huh. at the really end of life, maybe like two days before was you it called Terminal what? Terminal agitation. Oh, okay. Kind of, um, you just get really like insanely anxious Mm -hmm. and start like pulling on everything. So she was like grabbing her hair and pulling it and Uh. crying and slapping people. But it wasn't because that was her at all. It was just this tension that she had inside her. And I've seen that a bunch of times since this person, Mm -hmm. but I knew she was having a hard time and I had the next four days off of work because Mm -hmm. I worked three days on four days off. So I came to visit her every single day and I laid in bed with her and she died with me. And at the my boss didn't like that. Yeah. Either. That's you know that crazy. was frowned upon. Yeah. Well, that's I when I was. That. Yeah, when I worked at the the community center um, that I was the director of for a while, it was uh, elementary and high school kids um, who would be considered at risk. I don't like to like that label, but that's what yeah. we were doing. Um, we had a girl who was. 16 we knew she was in an abusive relationship um her brother and sister had been put in foster care and she just was kind of left because no one wanted her and then her mom moved out of the house and just left her with this rental that she couldn't i mean just all so she had every reason to be angry and distrustful of adults and the staff and i went out of our way to help her like she had a bladder infection one night so staff took her to the emergency room and took her to get her prescriptions filled and Um, that's what eventually led to me getting fired because they said I, I violated the transportation policy and, and couldn't honor boundaries. And, um, I just think the whole system needs to be more human. Yes. Yeah. Like you should encourage that. Yeah. And like, maybe I had done that with somebody and you encouraged it. Like three other staff members would have done it with somebody else who needed it. And we need to treat people like they're human beings. Like there's nothing that breaks my heart more than like seeing somebody come to the nursing home for the very first time, like their yeah. first day. Yeah. And I can imagine what that feels like, Yeah, you know, like get home and I, you know, already I'm taking like my abilities have been taken away. Like I can't, you know, go to the bathroom by myself and I can't mm-hmm. do this by myself, but now I'm like out of my home at this mm-hmm. new place and I'm going to die here. Yeah. And there's nothing else to look forward to. I'm going to be here for the rest of my life. Yeah. And they know that. And that really, you know, it's hard. And then sure. Perspective taking, I think, is so important to this conversation about dehumanization. Whether it's taking the perspective of the child who's under our complete control all day long or these adults who have sort of lost their lives already because of the dementia or the illness or the loss of power. Um, At the very least, we could try to see things from their perspective and let that impact us. Do you think that this whole boundary conversation, is it intended as staff protection? Like, is it, do you think it's intended to protect you emotionally? I think it is because I'm, but it I works can see the other that, way. Yeah. I can see it going overboard yeah. too. Yeah. Because especially with hospice care, I mean, like I said, I have 16 people 
I can't be there all the time yeah. for every single one of them. But, I mean, I think it is a protection yeah. because I, I can understand. Because I gave somebody my phone number once and they didn't. And um, I'm not supposed to do that. Right. Even though I have a work phone and I call them on my phone and they know my number. Uh-huh. So they're going to find it if they want to find it. Yeah. But anyway, I said, oh, call me anytime. Well, then they were calling me every other night. Oh, yeah. Because they didn't want to change her brief. So like, oh, you know, mom had an accident. Come and help us. And it was like seven at night. Oh, the family was. That's, gotcha. that's where it gets rough. Yeah. Because it's like, I can't be doing that all the time. You know, I'm not a superhuman. Right. I work already 40 hours a week and I can't keep doing that. Right. But I don't know. I think I think if you play it by ear and that's what comes along with getting paid more and te- uh, te- uh, treating it as a career because uh-huh. when it as a career, you know those people that you can do that with, and you know the people that you can't do that with, uh-huh. or that maybe don't need it as much. Yeah, I think that's, and I get, I get kind of caught up in this too because I feel like we're trusting in my in my situation. I'm trusting people to take care of children for hours every day, knowing how important the work is. And if I can't trust that person enough to make a good decision about a boundary or what's too far or what family to do that with and whatnot, then then why am I trusting them with this most important work? But the reality mm-hmm. is that not everyone can handle it. So ideally, I would love to be able to say, let's leave it to everyone's discretion because they're professionals and, and I can trust them. But um, too many rotten apples, I guess. And maybe that's, yeah. maybe that's what's, what's contributing to this for you guys too. Yeah, I can see that. I, yeah. Um, there've been a couple situations where, I mean, people just, they don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. But you know, then again, like I'm thinking like if this was a career setup, I don't know. Yeah. It's a hard yeah. problem to fix. But I think if we at least need to be looking at it right. and trying it. There's been one good thing that I've seen in Colorado that um, since I've been working at hospice, I work at different facilities. Like I said, there are a couple facilities in town that are pretty much like a house mm-hmm. that's set up and they only have six or seven people living there. And um, they have a caregiver there 24 mm-hmm. seven. And it's kind of like, we all just live in the same house together. Like the yeah. caregiver has a room. She makes breakfast, lunch and dinner. She does laundry. She goes grocery shopping. She makes a menu with everybody. She sits and does crosswords in the morning with people. <laughs> You know, and it, like, makes it like a home. Yeah. And a hospital. Yeah. And I don't think that there's any reason that all nursing homes and all levels right. couldn't be couldn't like that. that way. And that's kind of where Jim Greenman, to go back to our original quote, was coming from. Because this quote comes from an article where he's talking about, you know, it's really in our power to determine whether this environment children spend so many hours in every day is institutional or home-like. And whatever we can do to make it more home-like, we should be doing. Yeah, and I think what was shocking to me when I first started working as a CNA was walking into a nursing home for the first time because it does look like a hospital. Yeah, and smells like a hospital. It looks exactly like a hospital. I mean, there's tile floors. You've got two people per, per bedroom with the curtains. And another thing is that Medicare typically doesn't pay for the houses like I was talking about. So that's out of pocket. Yeah. So somebody has to pay six, $7,000 a month right. to live there. Right. So it's only the, available to the people who have, if the you're wealthy. For it. Yeah. So people, I mean, it Very comes down to, to quality childcare. <laughs> oh, yep. Only the wealthy can afford to die comfortably uh-huh. and only the wealthy can afford 
good childcare. Right. Small group size and big ratios and all that stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So there's a couple things left on the list that we were going to look at. I'm going to see what, how much time we've got. We're at about 35 minutes right now. <laughs> so um, I, I knew once we got started, it was going to be yeah. no problem. Yeah. But so one of the other things that you and I talked about was um, how we talk to and about the people we're working with, whether it's children or the elderly or the dying. Um, so using baby talk to them as if they could not understand regular talk. Uh, dehumanizing yeah and also talking about them like they're not there and that happens in your setting too oh my god yeah because <laughs> that's one of the baby things that talk, drives me crazy in child care baby talk i will tell you i think that baby talk is even worse in really? nursing facilities than it is in really? child care yep mm-hmm. because you have a little lady with dementia uh-huh say she's like 90 years old uh-huh. and she's really freaking cute yeah and you just have this thing inside you that's like i want to talk to her like this oh, yeah hi sweetheart yeah. hi baby girl like yeah that drives me insane yeah. even with little kids so like do you see don't... do you see with with the folks you work with um adults getting all caught up in the cute or funny thing they said and laughing at it like it's you know what I mean? Like sometimes a kid oh, will come say something to you and, and the adults totally blow off the kid who said the thing and talk to each other about how cute it was when that kid yeah, just we, wants to express yeah. something. Yeah. And sometimes it's even with kids, especially it's something that they really were trying to talk to you about. Right. And then you take it as, oh, it's so cute that she said that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, we have that in nursing home especially dementia care sure that's what i wondered i've even seen it with people without dementia it's just somebody who's older and they hate it like i think the reason why people i mean i'm not toot my own horn over here go ahead but i do get along very very well with the elderly Mm -hmm. and it's because i talk to them like i would somebody my own age Mm -hmm. you know as if they were human (laughs) yeah (laughs) And I'm not going to talk to you like a baby. And yeah. that's another thing that comes along with your rights. Like, that's your dignity that I'm addressing. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to treat you like a child just because you go to the bathroom in your pants and you mm-hmm. can't walk. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then talking over people that aren't there. We have that a lot with dementia because sometimes with late-stage dementia, um, people kind of turn into, like, you can't walk, you can't speak. Um, anymore at all. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like you're in a vegetative state a little bit. Yeah. And then I'm feeding you too. Um, and I've seen a lot of baby talk with that or just talking over them. Like I'll right. be with another CNA. It'll be two of us. And um, cause typically if you're unresponsive like that, you need two people to help you get up uh-huh. and we use this gigantic crane lift to help you up yeah. out of bed. But most of the time when I worked at the nursing home, those people would be when we would sit and gossip with each other. So it'd be like, we're getting, you know, somebody up out of bed and we're just talking to each other and uh-huh. I'm not talking to them at all anymore. And yeah. just because they're not responsive doesn't mean that they can't feel touch uh-huh. and they're not listening. Right. Um, and I mean, how dehumanizing would that be if you can't speak, talk, move, and then nobody even acknowledges that you're alive anymore? Yeah, that's one of the things that drives me crazy. A trend that I see, or a, a, maybe it's a cultural thing in childcare, is sometimes, I'm not saying this about every infant room teacher, but quite often the least qualified people are put in the infant room because we think all they need to do is change their pants, Thanks. keep them fed, and help them sleep. And so there's so much just 
adult conversation and gossip and background music and all kinds of stuff going on because they don't think that talking to them or spending time with them or just sitting and watching to see what they can do is mm -hmm. is important and um that that is a huge pet peeve for me uh, yeah and i because one they thing can't that a lot of <laughs> is i have this one facility i go to that's all dementia care so nobody you know is totally cognitive yeah and i'll come in and the lady has on the big screen like jerry springer or like the real housewives or something <laughs> and she yeah Diddling around on her phone, and everybody else is just sitting there. Like, there are ways to engage people. Yeah. It might not be through conversation, but like mm -hmm. human touch, just sitting yeah. by someone holding their hand, mm -hmm. engaging them. Um, it's amazing the power of music or nostalgia. Yeah. To just place, put I Love Lucy on and sit with somebody. You know, yeah. you could be doing all these things instead of just being like, oh, they don't understand. They don't listen. They don't know. They right. can't hear. Right. They wouldn't understand. What I had on there, it doesn't matter. Right. Not well, being able to speak is not the same as not understanding. Exactly. That drives me bonkers, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And with little kids the same way, especially, mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe the more quiet ones are the ones that need more attention, too. Absolutely. And that goes the elderly and the young. Yeah. That, yeah. You know, maybe this distant one that won't speak at all and looks like a zombie, you can open them up. And yeah. you can that happened before. Yeah. And I, I mean, I want to say that I, I'm not saying that I think infant teachers have terrible intentions and set out to dehumanize babies by just talking to each other, but it's a habit that's easy to fall into unless we're reflective and intentional and understand what's really happening with babies and what they need from us. And I think that's probably the same with you with what you're talking about is if you really understand the difference you could be making mm -hmm. yeah and sometimes I think that they don't understand that mm -hmm. because they haven't had the time or taken the time to sit down and when I was a bath aid I, I got to see that firsthand mm -hmm. which I think being a bath aid was the best experience of my life and a lot of people think oh you know I'm just going in and bathing people what more could I be doing but like you make it a spa experience with the human <laughs> yeah massage the heat it wakes people up uh -huh. play music that they liked and it would like get my rocks off yes to, <laughs> to play something that would wake somebody up and you uh -huh. could see that sometimes and if I played like the certain Frank Sinatra song you could see for just like a couple seconds that that person can hear and understand yeah. that yeah. and appreciates the human touch and contact because they're not getting that mm -hmm. you know a lot of people at nursing homes just haven't had their hands held, yeah. you know, in maybe years uh, and haven't been touched kindly by somebody yeah. in months. Right. You know, that happens. And like I said, we get them up, we get them out. We, that's it. Yeah. But that's why I like about my job is I get to do that with people. Uh -huh. So at facilities, I get to come in and I get to sit with you and do massage <laughs> and music therapy and things like that. Mm -hmm. And just human touch is just amazing. And even with little ones, it's like that too. Yeah. You know. Do you remember when you graduated and left uh, the center that you were working at with me and you were going to go study some, like, what were you going to go study? Something business <laughs> or something? Cause no, it was gonna archaeology. Make you... Oh, yeah. And I was like, no, no, no. You need to be in something where you care about the people. <laughs> so I love, yep. I love this. I mean, I know I, I appreciate the intensity that you're describing and the, the difficulty of your job, but I just love the passion, too, because I think... Every, everybody you're coming in contact with is so lucky. Um, well, and I, th I think there are a lot of people out there like me, but you're yeah. discouraged. 
Yeah. So discouraged. And that's what we talk about with the careers. Uh-huh. Um, CNA is not a career. Yeah. And it's not looked upon like a career. Right. And it's certainly treated like one. Like early childhood. Yep. <laughs> and even if I was a nurse, I wouldn't be doing the things that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to say something about nurses. Go ahead. Go ahead. I think nurses are pill pushers. Really? <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to nursing homes, uh-huh. all a nurse really has to do is give pills. Deliver the medicine. Deliver the meds, and that's all the time that they're given. That's another thing, overworked. Uh-huh. You uh-huh. don't have time to sit and talk. You treat each person as a patient, room number even. Uh-huh. Like I've had people come up to me and be like, oh, how's room number 127? Oh, no. And I'm like, that's, how we, that's a HIPAA thing. So you can't say their names in the hallway, so you talk to them oh. as room 27. Oh, I don't like that. But then they don't remember their name. They don't know their name. Uh-huh. They don't know what they look like. They just refer to them as a room number. Yeah. And that room number takes Ativan and this and this amount of morphine yeah. and this and this amount of this and that. And they don't talk to you as a person. And uh-huh. you'll say, oh, they, you know, they're kind of sad today. They couldn't care less. Yeah. They don't have time. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to – I'm not dissing nurses out there. Right. I kind of am. <laughs> well, but, but this is because I get into this I've with teachers too. Nurses. There's good and bad in every field, and we can't just say that all nurses are selfless angels any more than we can say all teachers are selfless angels. But yeah, there there but are I'm, there are some I'm, that are out there. But the comparison it bothers me, especially when I go into somebody's home and I give somebody like amazing cares, and you know when I give mm-hmm. people bed baths, like I go all out. I hate the towels. I hate the lotion. Yeah. It's like a fancy spa event. It's not just like, we're washing you down. We're getting you out of here. That's like, that's care and that's my career and that's mm-hmm. what I want to do. Yeah. But I, I don't know how long I can financially do it. Right. Right. And I so think that's I, where like, a lot of early childhood people are people, because real teachers in air quotes don't make mm-hmm. a whole lot of money either, but they make more than early childhood people yeah. do. Um, so to, to and really I stay in it, it you have to really love it. What? You have to. Nursing homes especially. Even nurses that I met would uh-huh. be like, oh, I just got out of nursing school. I just need experience so I can work at the hospital. And most people that I know want to work at, in pediatrics. Mm-hmm. That's almost everybody I talk to. So a lot of nurses aren't there just for the nursing home. Mm-hmm. They don't. That's like a job experience on their resume. They See, don't want to stay there. That kind of bothers me too because that's – what I would interpret that as, and and whether I'm right or wrong, is, oh, you know, taking care of kids is easy. Taking care of old people is easy. Kids are cute. I'm going to get this experience with these old people, and then I'll go be the cute pediatric nurse. Well, um, you get paid more, too. Without understanding the life stage and the development that you're at and the specifics about the age. And, uh, I'm pretty sure yeah. that I think nursing home nurses make... I'm not positive, but I'm uh-huh. pretty sure they make at least like seven to ten dollars less than somebody who works at a hospital. Oh yeah. So it's like one of the cheapest paying nursing jobs. Uh-huh. So that's always the money. Like yeah. I want to go pay more, of course. Right. And it's hard to fault somebody for saying I need to go do something that makes more money because we no, all have to not- live. We have to, and that's what I'm saying with CNA stuff. That's why mm-hmm. I can't do this forever. Right. If I have- it's like I can't live off of yeah. eleven bucks an hour Which in is Colorado. No good because you obviously have the passion for it and the heart for it and the skill for it. Um, and I see that I see too many good early childhood teachers leaving because of that too. 
I do too, and it makes me very sad. Mm-hmm. I have a, a girl that I worked with who I thought was like the most amazing CNA. Mm-hmm. Beautiful cares, like really, really cared about people and yeah. really liked the time, but she wanted to make more money. Yeah. So left, which, you know, happens. Yeah. yeah. So, so you get paid more at the hospital. You get paid, say, 11, you could get paid anywhere from 10 to $12 an hour mm-hmm. as a CNA at a nursing home. Mm-hmm. At the hospital, you can make almost up to 20. Yeah. Certainly. 16 yeah. to 20. Yeah, that's too bad. But you're doing different things. So at the hospital, if I say if I went and I worked at the cardiac center, mm-hmm. my job mm-hmm. would just basically be to do vitals. Mm-hmm. And I don't get to spend a lot of time with people. It's mm-hmm. I don't get to like sit in there and help you all the time like I do at the nursing home. The nursing home takes a lot of care and it takes a lot of patience. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like an entry-level job, which it shouldn't be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we need to wrap it up, Bree. Okay. <laughs> got any last thoughts? Anything you're burning to still get into this one? I think I got it all out. Yeah. <laughs> so I do. I mean, the the one of the goal the goal of the podcast is to start with that quote and kind of talk through it, but then also offer maybe some how how to make it real or how to make a change if you want to make a change after hearing the conversation. Um, so I would say part of it is just becoming more reflective about what you're doing and maybe slowing yourself down as much as you can. I would say that I would say if you're out there working at a nursing home and they're pushing you to go faster and faster, I I mean, even have a, a conversation with the DON, which is the director of nursing and say, Hey, you're, this is going way too fast and I'm not treating people like a human being anymore. Uh-huh. And which takes be courage. Honest, takes courage. It does. But and who knows if that person's going to take that to heart? Mm-hmm. Probably not. Mm-hmm. But I mean, at least they'll know I'm saying this. I'm being overworked. These people need better care yeah. than you're allowing me to give them. Yeah. And I wish I had said that at my last job. Yeah. Because I was in the beginning, I do an hour with each person, and they come in and say, "Oh, with the bath aid." Mm-hmm. They want me to give somebody a bath in 20 minutes. They said, "Oh, you have 20 to 30 minutes to get them in the bathtub and out the bathtub." out of the shower. So that essentially is me getting you undressed, hosing you down and shooting you right back out. Yeah. Which it shouldn't be that way. But anyway, I wish I had just been like, Hey, that's not right. Yeah. Instead of just quitting, I should well, have vocalized it. it was if your more first... people vocalize it, you know, well, that's maybe just something. Yeah. If more of us speak up and it's the same thing with early childhood, if more of us become the voice for the people who don't have the voice right now, um, that's the only way real change is going to be made. Um, but it's scary. It's, mm-hmm. so I guess, do the scary thing is what Jeff, the podcast producer would say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to, ra- we're going to wrap it up. All right. Um, okay. Thanks Bree. Uh, You're welcome. don't, don't hang up on the call cause I'm just going to end the recording and then we're going to keep talking. But for everybody else who's listening, thanks very much for joining us for another episode. Come back again next week. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.